Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And I have plenty of wonderful merch in my store, and the link is in my show notes. As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, from John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Pucks and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going. Okay, on with the show. I'm Craig Baird, and this is From John to Justin. Before I get to the episode, I want to mention that in March, I'm hitting three years since I started podcasting full-time, and I want to do a Q&A episode, so I'll answer questions about Canadian history, about myself. Just email craig at canadaehx.com. After covering one of the most famous premiers in Canadian history, it's time to take a step back to a man who is relatively unknown, even in his own province, George Anthony Wacom. Wacom was born in Ireland on November 15, 1834, one of ten children. His family emigrated to Canada in 1847, where his father began to work for the Royal Engineers. Wacom began to study at McGill University, where he graduated with a law degree. Called to the bars of Lower and Upper Canada in 1858 and 1861, he didn't spend long in Eastern Canada apart from moving to Toronto, where he briefly founded a law firm with George Morthy. Drawn by the gold rush, he moved to British Columbia in 1862. Hoping to get into law, he was hit with a roadblock. He applied to Judge Matthew Begbie for admission to the bar, but Begbie preferred lawyers who were trained in Britain rather than Canada, and he refused to call Wacom to the bar. As a result, Wacom made a living advising plaintiffs informally. Eventually, Governor James Douglas was petitioned to allow Wacom to practice law. He sought an opinion from the Secretary of State for the Colonies, who thought it was beneficial to have lawyers trained in Canada practicing law in British Columbia. As a result, in June 1863, Governor Douglas passed the Legal Professions Act. This act allowed for the admission of colonial lawyers to plead in courts. Begbie then admitted Wacom to the bar five months later, under pressure from Douglas. Now able to open a law practice, Wacom was able to build it to be a prosperous business that advised miners in the Caribou District. And almost immediately, he got involved in politics when he was elected to the Colonial Assembly in 1864, and he served until 1866 and was then appointed to the Legislative Council, serving from 1866 to 1870. A supporter of Confederation like Amor de Cosmos, Wacom wanted British Columbia to join the new country of Canada. But despite his support, he had a minor role in the debate over joining Confederation, usually urging a cautious but firm approach in negotiations. He opposed the introduction of responsible government as he felt it would cause tensions between the mainland and Vancouver Island. Said to be short of stature, with a drooping moustache and eyeglasses, he was known to be a hard drinker. Miners who knew him described him as a brother-in-arms, and he also enjoyed art and won several prizes in provincial exhibitions. After British Columbia was admitted to Canada, Wacom was elected to the provincial legislature. Under Premier John McCreet, he was appointed to be the Chief Commissioner of Land and Works, and after McCreet resigned, Wacom became the Attorney General under the Premiership of Amor de Cosmos. And while the two worked together, Wacom was not overly fond of de Cosmos, stating that he had 
all the eccentricities of a comet without any of its brilliance. With the Cosmos, also serving as a member of Parliament and often away, Wacom was often serving in his place as Premier. And after the Cosmos resigned as Premier on February 11, 1874, Wacom took over, becoming the third Premier of British Columbia. Lord Dufferin, the Governor-General, said of Wacom, He is a lawyer in a small village and the son of a clerk in the Dominion Militia Department, so that in one's intercourse with him, one has to be on one's guard against the intellectual frailties engendered by his professional antecedents. Almost as soon as he took over, he was dealt with the Texata scandal that alleged he, the Cosmos, and other members of the legislature were making a profit from the public development of the iron ore discovered on the island. The Royal Commission found that there was insufficient evidence to charge anyone, though, and through it all, Wacom said he had no part in the scandal, stating, I did not take silver for iron. But the air of corruption would hang over Wacom nonetheless. At the time, the Canadian government was moving slowly on building the railroad. With Sir John A. Macdonald out as Prime Minister after the Pacific Scandal of 1873, Alexander Mackenzie didn't seem to have the same zest for railway building as his predecessor. As Premier, Wacom was thrust into the debate over the route through British Columbia, and some wanted it to go through the Yellowhead Pass, while others wanted it through the Kicking Horse Pass. James David Edgar arrived in British Columbia in March 1874. As a representative of the federal government, he proposed changes to the railway clause in the terms of union. Wacom refused to give any consideration to this, but negotiations continued. Edgar stated the government would not build the railway immediately, but it would pursue surveys quickly and spend $1.5 million in railway construction in the province per year once the surveys were done. It would also build a telegraph line in Wagon Road before the railroad was completed. He also promised that a line would be constructed on Vancouver Island. Wacom was still unhappy with the slow progress and began to publicly question the credentials of Edgar, asking what authority he truly had to make promises. Eventually, Edgar left British Columbia, and nothing was resolved. Wacom kept pressuring the federal government to build a railway and fulfill its promise when it admitted British Columbia into Confederation. Alexander Mackenzie asked Wacom to present proposals on paper, and Wacom sent a hostile memorandum and then left for London, where he spoke with British officials of the failure of the government to live up to its promises. Lord Dufferin was having none of this, and wrote, Mr. Wacom will make no difficulties, and will hurry back to British Columbia across the Bridge of Gold we have built for him with the greatest expedition. Wacom also pushed against the size of reserves for the Indigenous people of the province, and he argued there should be no land title for the Indigenous. At the time, the federal government offered 80 acres per family, and Wacom eventually scaled back on his stance to prevent any documentation of the grievances of the Indigenous people from being made public. Unfortunately for Wacom, the failure to get the railway built in a timely manner hurt him going into the 1875 election, where he carried the baggage of the failure. There was also the issue of the growing debts of the province due to big public work projects. Wacom was re-elected though, but his government was not as strong as before, and there was anger among voters that he had plunged the province into debt. Lord Dufferin was not unhappy about the loss, stating about Wacom, He and all his family have a worldwide reputation for lying. Financial difficulties continued, and in early 1876, Wacom lost a motion of no confidence, and his time as Premier came to an end. Briefly. He spent the next two years serving as a leader of the opposition, but the issues that sunk his first premiership continued, and eventually took down the new premier, Andrew Charles Elliott, in 1878. Through those two years, he had gained a great deal of praise from the miners of the province after he defended arrested miners during the strike of the Wellington Coal Mine in 1877, 
and he also gained the reputation as a working man who opposed Chinese labor and legal repression. In the 1878 election, Walken was elected and once again became Premier on June 25, 1878. He had campaigned on the slogans of Fight Ottawa and Secession. This time, he had a decent majority to get him through the next few years. On December 30, 1879, Walken married Sophia Edith Rhodes, and together the couple had one daughter. The new Walken government put a target on Chinese labor, stating that it was the reason for the economic downturn. His government banned the hiring of Chinese workers on all contracts and also attempted to put a special tax in place on Chinese residents, but this was struck down by the Supreme Court of Canada. In 1888, a lawsuit was brought against Wacom that alleged he accepted fees for Dominion legal work. As well, he lost a great deal of support for not passing a redistribution law, as he promised in the previous election. He had also opposed tolls on the Caribou Road, but then increased them. As the next election in 1882 approached, Wacom threatened to remove British Columbia from Confederation if work did not commence on the railway by 1879. The resolution was passed on August 29, 1878 by a vote of 14 to 9 in the legislature. But the issue fell to the wayside, though, when Sir John and Macdonald and the Conservatives were elected to the House of Commons with a large majority. In 1882, due to the rising cost of building a dock on Vancouver Island, Wacom survived, barely, a motion of no confidence. But in the June 1882 election, his party lost, and once again his time as Premier came to an end. His five years, 331 days, remains the ninth longest of all Premiers in British Columbia history. Walken was then appointed to the Supreme Court of British Columbia on May 23, 1882. The Victoria Times colonist, no friend of Walkham, stated that his appointment seriously affected the status of the court. But by all accounts, it was difficult for him to take the job. The Times colonist wrote, he deliberated long, but finally, under the advice of his friends, he retired from politics and ascended to the bench, which he adorned until his retirement. Eventually, the anger with the Times colonist reached the point where Wacom sued David Higgins, the editor and proprietor, for libel, claiming damages of $10,000. The libel claim came as a result of an article published on November 20, 1885, in which it was stated that the former premier was involved in shady dealings regarding the dry dock. Higgins stated he simply copied the information from another newspaper. Through his years on the Supreme Court, Wacom was respected, but his reputation for drinking continued. At one point he was drunk in court, and it was stated, Judge Wacom carried away dead drunk at 7am when everybody was looking on. Wacom had recovered enough by 10.30am that he was able to oversee cases for, quite ironically, public intoxication. In November 1898, Wacom was honoured with a banquet by the prominent citizens of Victoria, who thanked him for his long service to the province dating back to 1862. Wacom remained on the Supreme Court until 1904 when he retired. By this point, his reputation in British Columbia was excellent, and many felt that he had helped the province move through its early years with perseverance and statecraft. The Vancouver Daily Province stated that he had a lasting reputation as an able jurist. Another newspaper said he was one of the brightest ornaments of British Columbia judiciary. The last years of his life were quiet and, by all accounts, boring for Wacom. The Vancouver Daily World wrote, Of late years, the lack of active work to which he had been accustomed from his earliest days had told upon his system, and his enforced leisure was thoroughly repugnant to him. In late 1907, he took ill, and despite constant medical attention, his condition slowly worsened and he passed away on January 13, 1908, in Victoria, after a short illness. The Times colonist wrote, Death last night removed one of the most outstanding figures in the public life of this province. 
I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at George Wacom. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon, Biography, Wikipedia, The National Dream, The Last Spike, The Vancouver Province, Vancouver Daily World, and The Victoria Times Colonist. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many you can sink your teeth into. We also love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those links in the show notes.